All right. Well, good morning, First Baptist of Hacienda. It's, it's a joy to be with you. And uh, our church regularly prays for you. Uh, this church is dear to my heart and our church's heart. Uh, my wife has conducted some of your weddings. Um, and uh, your pastors are precious to me. So it's just a privilege to be with you in person. So uh, thank you for having me. Um, please open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 34. Uh, I know this is going to be tough, but I'm going to try to cover two chapters in 30 minutes. Second Chronicles 34, and uh, this will be an expository flyover. Uh, so not necessarily, can't dig in every single pass verse, um, but uh, hopefully I can cover a lot of ground in the time I'm, I have. So before we do that, let me, let me pray for us again. Father in heaven, we just thank you for these saints. We pray that they would grow in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work. Would you strengthen this church according to your glorious might so that they would be thankful for the redemption that we have in Christ. So Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us according to your word and the conformity of your son by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Second Chronicles 34, Second Chronicles 34, and uh, Pastor Jeremy asked me to preach something in the Old Testament, and normally uh, in December I would finish my one-year Bible reading plan in Chronicles, and I was struck by the life of one king, King Josiah. Uh, you know that just two weeks ago, we, we, uh, a new president and vice president was elected into office. And you, you know how heated politics can be. Uh, because who is in office will determine the values and, and the morals. of, of uh, Who is in office will determine the direction of our nation. Who is in office will determine whether... Our country becomes stronger or weaker. It's, it's no surprise that when President Biden took office, uh, he signed many executive orders reversing the orders of the previous administration and, and signaling the, the direction, the new direction of his administration. Regardless of which president is in office, the point I'm trying to make is whoever leads, whatever decisions they make have consequences for the people they lead. And that's true as we study the book of Chronicles. If a king was faithful to the Lord, it would lead to great blessing for the people of Israel. If, if a king forsook the Lord, God's judgment was threatened. They were threatened with God's judgment. So today... Uh, I, I, I love to study the Reformers. I, I love to study the Reformation. But before there was Calvin, before there was Luther, there was Josiah. And I want to look at one of the greatest kings of Israel's history and how God used him to bring Reformation in his own day. And, and looking at his life, we, we can draw out some lessons for our own lives, bringing about Reformation in our own lives and, and continue the work of Reformation in our own day. One commentator said of Josiah, no king or prophet or priest has ever mounted such a sustained and thoroughgoing campaign to bring the worship of God's people into line with his word, nor has any king since Solomon claimed authority over the whole land. So today I just want to look at five reforms 
five reforms of Josiah. So five reforms of Josiah that, that led to greater worship and devotion to God so that we can continue the work of reformation in our own day. Uh, if you have read the book of Chronicles, specifically Second Chronicles, uh, it's 36 chapters. First nine chapters deal with Solomon and him establishing the temple. Chapters 10 to 36 describe the, lines, the line of the kings of Judah. And Josiah stands out in Chronicles as one of the greatest Davidic kings in Israel's history. So what reforms did Josiah initiate to bring about spiritual and moral reformation in his day? And what can we learn from his life to bring about reformation in our day? Well, five reforms we look at this this great king. Number one, uh, if you're taking notes, this king removed idols. This king removed idols, verses 1 through 7. You know, every two years... Ligonier takes a survey trying to gauge what Christians think about core doctrines and beliefs about the Christian faith. Uh, I'll just be honest, it's, it's always discouraging to read these surveys because, for example, American adults, 52% say that Jesus was a great teacher but not God. 26, only 26% of Americans say that God chose to save his people he would save before he created the world. 48% believe the Bible contains helpful myths but not literally true. 60% agree that religious belief is a matter of, matter of personal opinion and not objective truth. They conclude the survey by saying the most consistent and concerning trend is the increasing rejection of the literal truth of scripture among the U.S. population. A majority of U.S. adults assume that all truth is relative. More than half of respondents to the State of Theology survey say that religious belief is not about objective reality. If you think the work of Reformation was completed back in the 16th century, well, think again. When you look at what is taking place in our churches and our world, idolatry is just as rampant today as it was in the Reformation, and as it was in Josiah's day. And that's why, looking at the life of Josiah, we we get a breath of fresh air. Notice verses 1 through 3 with me. Josiah was 8 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and metal images. Josiah was a young king. He lived for 39 years. And in verse 2, it tells us that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked in the ways of David, his father. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And it's fascinating because uh, for for you, those of of you who are Star Wars fans, uh, one of the things you see in Star Wars is contrast, right? You you see contrast between light and darkness. Uh, You see contrast between sons and fathers. You know, how can Luke Skywalker's father be Vader? Or, Or Kylo Ren's father is, close your ears if you haven't seen it, but Han Solo. Well, Josiah's father was, was wicked, Ammon. He reigned two years and did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. His grandfather, Manasseh, was, was wicked. He sacrificed children to idols. And God's grace was upon Josiah's life. 
he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That's just simple phrase meaning that he was committed and faithful to God. You know, in Deuteronomy, the kings of Israel were to read the book of the law. They were to meditate on the book of the law. And they were not to turn to the right hand or to the left so that they would continue to be a blessing to the people. You are reminded of the words of Joshua 1.9. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Uh, First Baptist, there's a lot of young members here, and I just want to say to you that don't discount what God can do with your life in your youth if you seek God. You can serve God and do great good as a young person. Josiah was only eight years when he became king, 16 when he began seeking God, 20 when he started his reforms. Or think about church history. Listen to the words of, of one writer. Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be the most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure, and the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence. Resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. That was the first resolution of Jonathan Edwards who who wrote that at age 19. Charles Spurgeon began pastoring at age 19. So you can seek God in your youth and do great good for God. Because notice in verses 4 through 7, notice what Josiah did. He removed the idols. Notice all the verbs, by the way. Verse 4, they chopped down the altars of the Baal in his presence. He cut down the incense altars that stood above them. He broke down in pieces the ashram and the carved and the metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed them. He also burned the bones of the priests on the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. In the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Notice, notice all the verbs there. Purged, chopped down, cut down, broken pieces, made dust of them, scatter it, burned it, beat it, broke it. Josiah was a king committed to dismantling idols in his life. What idols do you need to dismantle in your life? Calvin defined an idol as, as something you think, something you invoke, something you supplicate to, something you trust in. So, you know, the acts, prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, well, we can do that to idols as well. You know, God often sends us hardship to reveal what we really trust in. Have you trusted in money? Have you trusted in GameStop? Have you trusted in friendships and relationships and and health in the government? Uh, 2020 and even 2021 has showed us idols cannot save nor satisfy. So what idols do you need to dismantle in your life like Josiah? But second of all, not only did this reformer remove idols, second of all, this reformer repaired the temple. He repaired the temple. Now, you remember Josiah had a wicked father and grandfather, and the temple was neglected. 
the, the temple was a symbol of God's promise to David to establish his dynasty. The, the temple was a symbol of God's presence to be with his people. The temple was a, a symbol of God's requirement of sacrifice to be with his people. And these things were neglected as Judah's wicked kings set up high places of idolatry. And notice what Josiah does in verses 8 through 13. Now he's 26 years old. Now in the 18th year of his reign, verse 8, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Masiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johaz, that recorded to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah the high priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keeper of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they gave it to the workmen who were working the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the house. Verse 12 says, The men did the work faithfully. Here was a good leader because he united the remnant in the north with the remnant in the south to focus on the temple, the temple worship. That was good leadership. And, and these men that Josiah had commissioned did the work faithfully. Uh, they repaired the temple so that it can be a place of worship. It could play, be a place of sacrifice. They, they restored praise as the Levites were put in place to sing praises to the God of Israel. A new Sovereign Grace album was produced by the Levites back then. And everyone was contributing to the worship of God in his temple. And every revival in history, there was a recommitment to worship the one true God. Now, as Christians, we know that a temple is no longer necessary because Jesus said that I will destroy this temple and three days raise it up. Christ has created a new temple a temple built with living stones where the Spirit of God indwells. And that temple is you. That temple is the church. So, brothers and sisters, if you want to see reform in our day, we need to love the church. We need to contribute cheerfully and sacrificially to the needs of the church. Those who serve in the church must serve faithfully, from singing to preaching to setting up chairs to putting up boulders right now. To, to setting up sound systems, to watching kids. Each member has a part to play for the building up of the body of Christ. God built his new temple through the church. That's why uh, if you ask Pastor Jeremy, he'll, he'll show his tattoo where right here on his arm. It says nine marks, building healthy churches. <laughs> I, I hope this, this past year and this this year has, has show, shown you how, how valuable the church is. If we went on lockdown for another eight months, would you grieve that you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to gather with God's people or hear his word or sing his praises? Or would nothing change for you? The church is so precious. Christ loved his church, gave himself for the church, and we want to build up churches if you want to continue the work of reform in our day. Reforms in history have always returned to biblical and corporate worship, and the temple was a symbol of that in the Old Covenant. So Josiah not only removed idols, he repaired the temple, but, but thirdly, 
He, he revered God's word. He revered God's word. Isn't that true in all church history? Whenever the pure word of God is preached, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's when reformation takes place, when people return sincerely to God's word. That was true in Josiah's day. That was true in Nehemiah's day with Ezra teaching the law from Jesus and the apostles to the great reformers of the reformation. Notice verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 34. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Helkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Helkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Helkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it into the hand of the overseers and workmen. Verse 18, Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, and the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me, and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in the book. Now, the law, maybe this was the Pentateuch, most commentators think that this is the book of Deuteronomy, the scroll of Deuteronomy. Whether it was collecting in dust or neglected in the temple, this book was found. And now the book is read before the king. And the king, when he hears the word of the Lord, he tears his clothes as a sign of remorse and repentance. You know, Josiah, uh, Richard Sibb wrote a whole Puritan paperback on this book called Josiah's Reformation. And, and one of the chapters in, in Sib's book is entitled The Tender Heart. Josiah was a, a, a righteous king because he had a tender heart before the Lord. Isn't that the words of Isaiah 66 verse 2? This is the one whom I will look, the one who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Uh, he, he responded to God's word. And, and brothers and sisters, for those of us who have been Christians for a long time now, do, do we respond to go, God's word like that? Or have we become dull of hearing? Do we tremble at God's word like Josiah? Spurgeon, commenting on, on Josiah, said that that great reformation which broke down all the idols in Judah and Israel came of the discovery of this book. And there remains for us at this day no better means of reformation. He says the Bible is the greatest of reformers. You thought perhaps I should have applied that term to Luther or Calvin or Swingley. But this is the reformer that reformed Luther. This is the teacher that instructed Calvin. This is the prophet that fired the heart of Swingley. Brother and sister, have you... Had the Bible reform your heart? And not just a superficial reading of the Bible. No, meditating on the scriptures. Thinking of the scriptures. Applying the scriptures. Again, Spurgeon says it is the reader and the understander of the word who gets the blessing from it. This book is like a nut. You must crack the nut by reading and meditation and so get the kernel or it will not feed your soul. 
Let's not have Bibles that collect dust. Let's not be content with a superficial reading of the Bible. Uh, Carson, commenting on this verse, says, The picture of the king himself calling together the elders of Judah and solemnly reading to them the scriptures is enormously moving. There is nothing that our generation needs more than to hear the word of God. And this is at a time of biblical illiteracy rising at an astonishing rate. Moreover, it needs to hear Christian leaders personally submitting to Scripture, personally reading and teaching Scripture, not in veiled ways that merely assume some sort of heritage of Christian teaching while actually focusing on just about anything else, but in ways that are reverent, exemplary, comprehensive, insistent, persistent. Nothing, nothing at all is more urgent, end quote. Josiah understood that when the book of the law was read, he was trembling because he understood the covenant curses found in Deuteronomy 27 and Leviticus 26, that those who forsake God, they will be in danger of being exiled. God would judge his people by sending pestilences and plagues, and he would discipline his people for forsaking them. But if they obeyed, they would be blessed among the nations. And Josiah's heart was tender, understood that judgment was upon the people, and that led him to repentance and remorse. And that outward sign was, was shown by his tearing of his robes. So, brothers and sisters, you know, how, how is your heart when you come to hear God's word? Do you come to the Lord's day with expectancy, knowing that God is going to speak to you? Through the messenger? Do you come expecting God to bless you and teach you and to correct you and to train you in righteousness? Again, Spurgeon says, What God has written is to be received with utmost reverence. It is a pity that so many treat this sacred volume as they would treat any ordinary book. They sit on the throne of judgment and sway the scepter of criticism as if they would call God Himself to their bar. Every revival in, in church history has been a return to the word and return to the preaching of God's word. Because notice in verses 22 to 28, so Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, son of Harat, Hasra, keep, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and spoke to her that, to that effect. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring upon this place, upon its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all, with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah... Who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and torn your clothes and wept before me, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see the disasters that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Josiah did everything by the book. 
And that's what we should do too. Uh, the reformers understood this as the regulative principle of worship. Where everything we do in our gatherings must be shaped and informed by the scriptures. Either by explicit command or by implication. Uh, the reformers understood this. The, the Puritans understood this. So why is it that there is a call to worship? Why is there a prayer of praise? Why is there a prayer of confession? Why is there a scripture reading? Why do we observe the sacraments? Because the word tells us to. We don't worship God according to our imagination or how we feel. We worship God to according to what he has revealed, according to this book. If you want reforms in our churches, we must do everything by the word. I have to move quickly, but the fourth reform of this reformer, he renewed the covenant. Verses 31, the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. You see, Josiah was able to unite the people by rededicating themselves to the book of the Lord. To rededicating themselves to the Mosaic Covenant. And when Reformation happens in your heart, you want others to be reformed by the great truths of Scripture. Uh, Josiah understood covenant blessings and the covenant curses of the law. And he knew wrath was going to be upon the people by forsaking the Lord. And he wanted to rededicate the people back to the book and back to the Lord. So he holds a covenant renewal ceremony. Next week is the Lord's Supper. And, you know, the, the Reformers, the Puritans, they, they would go to great lengths of defining what a true church is. And, and as you read some of these Reformers, they define a true church as the right preaching the word and the right administration of the sacraments. And every time you take the Lord's Supper, in one sense, that's a covenant renewal ceremony. As you remember that the blood of Christ makes the many one. So when you come to communion, come to the Lord's Supper with, with reverence. It's a new Passover that the Lord's Supper represents. And we see here, as, as he renews the covenant with the people, we see that it's with the people. Because Christianity is fundamentally corporate. You, you can't be a lone ranger Christian. You need to be a member of a local church if you're not a member of a local church. If you want to receive the covenant blessings, you need to be part of the covenant people. This reformer removed idols. He repaired the temple. He revered God's word. He renewed the covenant. And finally, he reinstated Passover. He reinstated Passover. And that's chapter 35, verses 1 to 2. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priests to their office and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. This celebration, this Passover, was the climax of Josiah's reforms. And it's interesting that the celebration that Josiah had was triple that of Hezekiah's celebration a few chapters earlier. 
Because Josiah did it in accordance with the book of the law on the 14th day. You know, the Passover was that ancient, that, that, that ancient ritual in Israel's history where, where God would send an angel of death to kill the firstborn son of Egypt. And he commanded the children of Israel to slaughter a Passover lamb, put it on the doorpost. And then if, if that blood was on that doorpost, they would be spared. And Josiah reinstitutes this, this celebration, this, this ritual. Second Chronicles verse 18 of 35 says, No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as were kept by Josiah, the priests and the Levites. And all Judah and Israel were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Second Kings tells us there was no king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. But even though Josiah led all these great reforms, the reforms ended with the reformer. We continue to read in Second Chronicles 35 that Josiah died a premature death at the age of 39. He, he tried to battle Pharaoh as, as Pharaoh was coming to assist the Assyrians against Babylon. And Josiah did not realize it, but he did not listen to the word of the Lord and, and went, to the, went to battle and lost his life as a result of it. And as you read the book of Kings and Chronicles, some of these kings, they start well, but then they don't finish well or they don't end well. His death, he gets shot by an arrow and he, his death resembles like that of Ahab. And his death was both an act of discipline and an act of mercy. An act of discipline because he did not listen to the Lord's instruction. But a mercy because he would die before the destruction of the temple and the exile of his people. And we know that as great as his reforms were, they were not enough. Because the remaining kings after Josiah were wicked and led the people into idolatry. And they listened to false prophets and they abandoned the Lord. And therefore the Lord would abandon them. And then you see that the temple is burned to ashes by King Nebuchadnezzar in 586. And the tension of Kings and Chronicles is, how is there going to be a Davidic king on the throne if God forsakes his people and his temple? How would there be a, a Davidic di dynasty if they are in exile under former, former foreign rulers? Well, brother and sister, I have good news for you. A better king would come 600 years later. This king would be the son of David, the son of Abraham, Matthew 1.1 1, 1 tells us. Josiah would die for his failure to heed God's word, while Christ would die for his obedience to God's word. All the covenant curses found in Deuteronomy 27 and Leviticus 26 that were meant for God's people, well, Christ was hanged on that cursed tree to bear the curse of the Mosaic Covenant, to give us life. Josiah blessed the nation through his humility, and Christ would bless the nations through his humiliation. Whereas Josiah's reforms were only temporary, Christ's death and resurrection would regenerate human hearts and establish the Davidic throne forever, because this king lives forever. We know that Jesus Christ, our king, 
who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, even above Josiah, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Paul's own words, he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's the climax of our worship, is worshiping the Passover lamb. We see this in Revelation. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The climax of our services is Christ. The climax of our worship is Christ. The climax of heaven's worship will be Christ. Because he spares us from the curse of the law. And this king becomes the sacrifice. And this sacrifice appeases God's wrath. And this king becomes the priest who lives forever to make intercession for you and I. Friend, if you're, if you're not a Christian, the, the curse of the law is death. If, 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 if there is anything we have learned from COVID and, and this past year and even this year, that we are mortals and anything can happen to us, and all of, of it, and if you do not repent and trust in this king, you will be damned forever because the curse of the law still hangs upon you. Because God is a holy and a righteous God who demands his law to be fulfilled perfectly. And there's no other way to get to heaven except by the blood of the Lamb. If you trust in this king, the, the king who becomes the sacrifice, and not only the sacrifice, but the, the high priest who is raised from the dead and lives forever, God will forgive you and grant you eternal life. And he will renew and change your heart. And you will live forever. I was reading Calvin, and Calvin said that death is a medicine. A medicine to transition you to the eternal state. And that's the hope of every believer as we are pilgrims on this earth. So Josiah was a, a great reformer because he removed idols. He repaired the temple. He revered God's word. He renewed the covenant. He celebrated the Passover. And isn't that what it means to be a Christian? To, to turn from idols, to serve the living God, to be committed to God's people, to revere God's word and be in covenant through faith in him, and, and to praise the Passover lamb who, who takes away the sins of the world, that's, that is what is going to lead to reformation in our day. Hebrews 13 says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Michael Reeves, a church historian, says true reformation 
whether Reformation and Josiah's day, Sibs, are ours, must begin in the heart with love for Christ. And that can only come when the free grace of God in Christ Jesus is preached. May the Lord grant Reformation in this church, in our churches, so that God's glory would be put on full display because of our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our great king, the greatest king who humbled himself to be the sacrifice to appease your wrath so that we would be forgiven and counted as righteous and holy before you. Thank you that our high priest lives forever and he always lives to make intercession for those who would draw near to him. So, Father, we we thank you for our King, Jesus, and we pray that we would continue the work of making disciples, building the new temple. Lord, would you grant that in our day? As we see the days grow darker, we pray that the light of the gospel would shine brighter. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.